We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spurs Up Show, the best Game Cox podcast on the internet. Today is Thursday, December the 17th, 2020. On today's show, we're talking everything early signing day. I'm recapping the day that was as the Game Cox chain beamer add seven new Gamecocks, seven signees from the 2021 class. I'll talk about each of the seven players. Also, give my thoughts on Shane Beamer's comments as well. We've also got your listener questions and a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman Jeff Barnes joins the show, talks about his playing career under Lou Holtz, winning back-to-back Outback Bowls. Also, of course, the 2020 season. His thoughts on the hiring of Shane Beamer. Also talks about his Hammond Skyhawks. He's the athletic director there and also the offensive line coach. Talks about those guys winning the state title over this past season as well. A lot to get into here in a Thursday set, guys. So sit back, relax, enjoy. It's all brought to you by our friends over at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, Upstate Movers Group, superior moving service. They bring care and attention other companies can't offer because they're just too busy maintaining trucks and profiting off of them instead of focusing on service. Guys, service is what separates Upstate Movers Group from the competition. They're not a trucking company, by the way. They are a moving services company, and they're also employee-owned co-op. The movers are paid twice the industry average, and everyone on the crew is just as invested in the success of the project as you are. They have dedicated professional crew members, and they offer black glove service, guys. They offer end-to-end packing services, custom crating and pack- packaging for special items, and cleaning services as well. They are founded by Greenville Natives and University of South Carolina alumni, guys. So a Gamecock-owned small business. They offer 20 years of project management and moving experience, and they can offer logistics and solutions that traditional moving companies simply do not have the skills for. Guys, whether you're in the upstate or across the state of South Carolina and you have any moving needs this holiday season, be sure to check out my friends over at Upstate Movers Group. You can find them on social media at Upstate Movers Group. Guys, if you have any moving needs, we all know the pain in the butt that moving can be. You lose things, you break things. You simply don't want to do it. Let Upstate Movers Group help you out again. Check them out on social media at Upstate Movers Group. And if you have any other questions for those guys or if you want to get in contact with them, go to their website, upstatemoversgroup.com. That is upstatemoversgroup.com. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it.
guys? Happy Thursday. I'm Chris Phillips here with the Spurs Up Show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Got a lot to get to here on a Thursday. Hope you pulled your jackets out, by the way. I don't know if you guys are in the city or around the state of South Carolina, whatever, but man, the weather on Wednesday, just about as miserable as you can get. Cold, rainy. I know I went outside for like five seconds and was like, no, thank you. I'm like, I'm glad it's early signing day. I've got something to, to entertain myself with, to work on all day long, and I don't have to go out there in that cold, nasty weather. Um, but it's starting to turn that way. Obviously, we're getting closer and closer to Christmas, just over a week away until Santa Claus comes to town. A um, lot to get into, though, here on a Thursday, guys. Hope you're all doing well. A lot going on. I, I do want to make a quick announcement before we get going. Obviously, um, with things ever changing as we go into 2021, obviously, we're always trying to uh, be strategic in business, adding partners, taking away partners, whatever it may be. Um, very excited to announce, though, we've actually added a partner, if you will, a guy who's a fantastic Gamecock, Jeremy Smith, his brand, Apex Art and Design. They're at apexartanddesign.com. You guys probably saw the plug on social media of the DJ Swearinger picture that he made for me that he is selling on his website. They are our latest partner. They are our latest sponsor, if you will. Uh, Going to help him sell some units. Again, he came to me a couple weeks ago and showed me the artwork that he has, and I'm like, dude, we got to get this out in front of Gamecocks. Gamecock fans are going to absolutely love this. So, guys, if you want some fire Gamecock pieces for wherever, your house, your studio, your office, wherever, just wherever it may be. This dude's work is awesome. Check him out. He's on Instagram, design. Design is where you can find their Instagram. And also, of course, their website, apexartanddesign.com. Right now, they've got a DJ Swearinger piece available and a Kevin Harris piece available. Also, this guy's taking suggestions. So if there's any of your favorite game, favorite Gamecock moments, he literally draws these things by hand on his iPad. The work is incredible. Jeremy, an awesome dude, an awesome Gamecock, and what he's doing, the talent it takes to do what he does, by the way, incredible. But really excited to announce that partnership, our latest partner, Apex Art and Design. Again, um, I know Gamecock fans are going to absolutely love these pieces. I have mine in my studio. If you guys tune in the daily live stream, if you have not, um, you can see it if you tune in. It's literally right behind me. That is the 8 by 10 The sizes go all the way up to 16 by 20 I, Again, these things are absolutely awesome. As he keeps creating new designs, I'm probably going to keep hitting him up and be like, bro, give me that one. Give me that one. Give me that one. I already, I already requested the, uh, the Whit Merrifield walk-off picture. So really awesome stuff. Really excited to do that again. I think something's going to bring a lot of value to you guys. So excited again. ApexArtAndDesign.com. ApexArtAndDesign.com and design.com their own instagram apex.art and designs really really cool stuff really great stuff guys be sure to check them out i'm really excited for that partnership and obviously a great thing for the business as well guys but i really do appreciate you all tuning in thank you so much gonna be a little bit more of a brief show at least the first half um because really we broke down everything with the early signing day yesterday i want to go over the seven guys that have signed with south carolina now um and obviously this thing will continue to evolve like i told you guys yesterday do not hit the panic button, right? Things are going to be okay. I know the rankings night right now look really, really ugly. As I sit here right now recording, South Carolina is 106th nationally, 14th in the SEC. That's not good, but you've only signed seven guys. I fully expect the Gamecocks to hit hard the transfer portal and the JUCO ranks, like I told you guys yesterday. But let's go over the seven guys that South Carolina signed, plus a little bit about what Shane Beamer went into in his media availability on Wednesday. And we'll start where we have to start. And Shane Beamer gave this kid a lot of credit for holding this class together and a guy that we had on the show, and that is quarterback Colton Gothier. Colton Gothier out of Decula, Georgia, Georgia, six foot three, 205, a kid again. I knew this was a special kid when I had him 
on the show back in October. You know, a true leader. And he took that upon himself to be the leader of the 2021 class. You know, Shane Beamer talked about he was the very first one to sign on Wednesday morning. And Shane Beamer talked about how special that is that he will, you know, forever be known as Coach Beamer's first signee. And I think that's something really cool. And again, when I talk to Colton, it does not surprise me to hear the way that Shane Beamer referenced him, the way he talked about him and what he did for this class, holding everything together. Um, speaks volumes about the kid's character. He has the intangibles. Now, how does he factor into the quarterback race? That is yet to be determined. But Colton, a kid of high character, somebody I'm glad is a Gamecock. So, again, Colton Gothier, your first signee. Your second signee, Omega Blake, wide receiver out of South Point. Talked about him a little bit yesterday, 6'3", 194. A guy, definitely a position in need for South Carolina. You've then got running back Caleb McDowell, 5'10", 175 out of Leesburg, Georgia. Wide receiver Sam Reynolds, a speedster, 5'9", 175 wide receiver out of Alabaster, Alabama. Marcellus Dial, we talk about the JUCO ranks, Georgia Military College, Milledgeville, Georgia, the defensive back, 5'11", 180. Jordan Davis, big offensive tackle, by the way. I think this was a sneaky good signee. 6'5", 288 out of Fairburn, Georgia. And then finally, the last one to come in on Wednesday, Nicholas Barrett, defensive tackle, six foot four, three twenty, out of Goldsboro, North Carolina. Again, guys, I'm not going to talk your ear off for 45 minutes on this show, uh, on this show specifically, and fill your ear with fluff and all this about this prospect, that prospect, whatever. This thing's got to come together, right? Uh, we all know that. We all expect it. Kind of what 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 happened to happen. Uh, South Carolina even had one of their kids, one of their wide receiver commits, flip, quote unquote, to Georgia Southern which it sounds like that was a lot more of Shane Beamer probably telling him to look elsewhere. I think you are really going to see this coaching staff hammer, like I said yesterday, the JUCO route and the transfer portal. I think that is going to be a thing for South Carolina. So I don't want Gamecock fans, because I know a lot of you, it's tough, right? You see everybody else, and it's kind of one of those things we feel like we're on the outside looking in, right? We're seeing all of these these different schools, these highly ranked classes, and they're getting this prospect and that prospect and all that stuff. And it kind of sucks, right? It kind of sucks being on the outside looking in. It's like, man, like we don't really get to enjoy it this year. Um, but rest assured, Shane Beamer's on the recruiting trail. He's doing all he, can, all, he, all he can right now. I think Shane Beamer is honestly probably more focused on putting together a coaching staff. OCDC, he talked a little bit about that actually on Wednesday. Talked a little about that. Said he's not ready to announce a coaching staff yet and said that uh, their A candidates are still available and that some of them were coaching last weekend and will be coaching this weekend as well. So if you want to do some digging, you want to look into that, the guesswork continues in regards to that. I would probably think next week is when we will hear. I'm assuming he wants to let everyone get done with their regular seasons or their seasons as a whole, whatever it may be. So I'm thinking, again, I, I heard yesterday or two days ago, that it would probably be early next week with the coordinators. And, and I, I think, you know, after hearing him speak on it, I think it's pretty much safe to say that is going to be the case, which is fine. Um, you know, Shane Beamer also said, quote, when your class is as small as it is, your ranking's not going to be high, and that's okay. This small class is by design. Again, I think when he says by design, guys, that's exactly what he is talking about. The JUCO guys, definitely the transfer portal. I think South Carolina is going to feast on the transfer portal. No question. I think they're going to feast on the transfer portal. Then you heard Shane Beamer just speak to the, the reality that it is how tough it is to recruit under these circumstances. 
He said, quote, trying to do two years worth of work in 10 days. I mean, really, again, I don't think it's an indictment on South Carolina. I don't think it's a death sentence of any kind. They're going to get 25 guys. And I said this actually on the live stream on, on Wednesday. You know, you guys, it seems like a lot of people love this, this little slogan that, you know, I didn't come up with or anything, but that I've said, all we got is all we need. Sticks with recruiting too. South Carolina can go out there and find 25 guys who want to be Gamecocks who are going to bust their asses for the University of South Carolina. I know Shane Beamer, Beamer and company can go find those guys. So, Beamer also saying he anticipates four of the seven signees to be early enrollees in January. So, I, I think that's interesting. Which four, I don't know, but uh, I think that'll be interesting to see. But overall, like I said, guys, I, I could sit here for 30, 45 minutes, fill your ear with fluff on, oh, this kid's a sleeper, that kid's a sleeper, this, that. Class just isn't filled, man. The, the class just is not filled yet. I think there definitely are some guys out of these signees that could factor in and play early. I mean, you think about it. It's really not that you have seven dud players that are committed. I don't look at it that way. I look at it as you only have seven players that are committed. Your class is going to be a terrible ranking when you only have seven signees. Just bottom line, that's how it goes. That's how it's going to be. So, I trust Shane Beamer and company to get on the trail, get on the recruiting trail. Um, you know, again, bring in guys that want to be Gamecocks, number one, but number two are good ball players, and that are going to help you out in the long run. But right now, guys, like I said yesterday, I, I wouldn't overreact. South Carolina made the right decision, getting rid of Will Muschamp, and you knew you were going to be in this spot, and that's okay. That's okay. I'll trade a recruiting class for a new head coach. I'll trade it. I mean, you know, maybe some of you would disagree. But I'll absolutely trade it. So, um, again, I think there's some capable players in this class, no question. And I liked what I heard from Shane Beamer yesterday. But uh, he also said one interesting thing here is that Beamer said he hasn't been given any indication from any of the remaining USC players they want to move on. He's also heard from seniors who are planning to leave but now will return. So, does that mean Colin Hill is back next year? <laughs> no, I, I, I'm kidding. I, I, you know, I don't want to be right there. I don't want to be right. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's a good thing in regards to you think about personnel. And, and you know, Jeff, you're going to hear Jeff Barnes, who, who's our guest interview today. Awesome, awesome conversation with Jeff. You're going to hear him talk about this as well. What it's more so focused on in this class, you know, what I think Coach Beamer is going to focus on in the next few months and definitely with the transfer portal, it's all about looking at your personnel who you have right now, what are your biggest needs? And maybe that sounds obvious, whatever, but I really think they're going to hone in on that. Like, what are our needs? What do we need more than anything? And I think that's who you'll see them lock in on. But guys, the sky is not falling. I think it's going to be okay. You know, I, I think South Gunnigan is in a position that a lot of teams are going to be in who have made coaching changes. Like, it just happens. You have until February. I expect South Carolina to hammer the JUCO ranks. I expect them to hammer the transfer portal. And I think we're going to be having a different conversation and be singing a different tune in February, especially when you factor in. When South Carolina gets these coordinators in place, I mean, that's just going to make a world of difference. Going to make a world of difference. We all know that. So, 
I think South Carolina will be fine. Again, I'm excited for the seven guys that they did sign. I will say that. I, again, I think there's some really capable players out of that class. Um, definitely, hey, at the wide receiver position, you get help there immediately. Colton Gothier is a guy I think can come in and be a, a positive addition. Dial's a guy I think can come in and be a positive addition. Jordan Davis. But, uh, you know, you'll have to wait and see for this class to fill out before we can really judge this recruiting class. You know, it's not like last year where you basically had everybody signed. I mean, pretty much. You know, the only thing you were really waiting on was Jordan Burks to sign his letter of intent. Who remembers that fiasco? But, you know, this year's a completely different story for obvious reasons. So, again, I, I trust Coach Beamer. I trust Coach Beamer that he's going to get those coordinators hired. He's going to get the guys in place they need, and they're going to go out and get, in turn, the players that they need. Bottom line. So, again, let's go ahead and move into your listener questions, guys. Like I said, going to be brief in regards to that. I'm not going to spend 45 minutes going through each of these guys and tell you how great they are, the film, whatever. It's way too early to analyze this class. Let this thing – I know it's tough to have patience. It's been tough to have patience in regards to the, the coordinator search and filling out the coaching staff. And I know it's tough to have patience, especially in regards to recruiting in this signing class, but have some patience, guys. Have some patience. Let Shane Beamer do his thing. Let him go out, hire his coaches, and put a class together. I think, I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. I do. I think you'll be pleasant, pleasantly surprised. That's just me. So, We'll see what happens. All right, let's go ahead and move to your list of questions. Thomas underscore Brady underscore H. If Beamer wins us a championship, we should triple his salary, honestly. Hey, I, I, I agree with you 110%. Uh, Tyler underscore Layers, what percent chance do you think we have of landing Brady? Um, I'd give it 50-50. I'd give it 50-50. I think there's a chance. I think there's a chance. Um, DJC3786, will Beamer have a signature jacket, hat, visor, et cetera? I think he's going to be a hat guy, like a dad hat. I think that's going to be him. Dad hat and the polo. If I had to guess, I think that's going to be him. I don't think it's going to be anything crazy or flashy or anything like that. Um, Adam underscore Madison, where in this program do you think we'll improve the most under Beamer? I, I think culture, without a doubt. I think culture and player development. I think that's where you're going to see the biggest jump. On field, we'll see what happens. But culture and player development, I think are going to be two things that you're going to be like, wow. Uh, they're going to take care of themselves with Shane Beamer at the helm. Um, <laughs> Krusty Andy says a thousand Marcus Lattimore's versus a thousand or a hundred lions, dude. I don't know. I think a thousand Marcus Lattimore's could do work. I mean, dude, you think about it. So that, what is that? That's 10 Marcus Lattimore's to every lion. I like my odds there. I do. I, I like my odds a lot. Give me thousand Marcus Lattimore's Krusty. I appreciate that question. That's awesome. Uh, WM underscore four IV. What do you think about Charlie strong for DC it would be interesting. Obviously he was at South Carolina in the early two thousands and was there when our guest Jeff Barnes was there. Um, you know, I, I, who, again, I, I've said this before, whoever Shane Beamer brings on, I'll be fine with it. Whoever Shane Beamer brings on, I will be fine with it. Uh, eCarch zero eight more Steven Garcia, please. I'll definitely try to get him back on soon guys. If the bowl game is in Tampa, we might have some, uh, some special things planned up for you guys. Uh, let's see. Ben underscore Arthur 15. We have a top 25 recruiting class now that Beamer is our coach, or is it too late? I, th I think it's definitely too late for this class. Um, you know, it's like Coach Beamer said. You had 10 days to do two or two years of work. You know what I mean? You had 10 days to do it. So I think it's a little too late for this class. I'm not saying you still can't get some good athletes in here that can help you in year one of the Beamer era, 
But I think especially following this year, you know, you think about that 2022 class and having Gunnar Stockton and the type of momentum that brings, and you're going to have Shane Beamer for a full year at that point, and, you know, you're going to have his first season in the books. I think you can bounce back in a big way next season and have, at minimum, a top 25 class. Uh, Reed underscore Driggers, how do you feel about the quarterback situation? I feel good about it. Um, I, I think it's Luke Doty's job to lose going into 2021. You know, I'm assuming with the coordinator that Shane Beamer does bring in and the style of offense that he's going to want to run, I believe that it's going to be a spread up tempo style offense with a mobile quarterback. And I think that fits Luke Doty very well. Um, I know he had his growing pains in the season, obviously, but I think Luke is a guy that has all the talent in the world, man. Again, does, does Ryan Linsky come back? I don't know. Does Colin Hill come back? Hell, I don't know. But South Carolina is going to go with a mobile quarterback. I, I don't see how it's not Luke Doty at this point. But, hey, as we saw last year, uh, from this time last year, I mean, a lot can happen. Hell, there might be a grad transfer quarterback that comes to South Carolina. You never know. So, But I feel good about it overall. I do. Last question, Tyler.Wiggins23, would Derek Mason take a D.C. job after being a head coach for eight years? I think he would. I think he would. I, I don't see why he wouldn't. I mean, he's a, he's a football guy. He wants to coach. Who's offering Derek Mason as a head coach? That's my question to you. Who is offering Derek Mason? I, I, I don't think anybody. And I think he's a guy that wants to coach football, and he probably understands his strength is defense. I'm sure that he understands that his strength is defense. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think he would. I think he would. I, I don't see why he would not. But, uh, you know, I guess you never know. But, yeah, I'm sure you're asking because Derek Mason possibly for D.C., could that be a thing? And I'd be fine with that. Again, like I said, guys, it's almost like with the head coaching thing. I'm not nearly as picky as you guys may think in regards to whoever Shane Beamer goes with. I know Shane Beamer is going to hire a premier coaching staff. Whoever Shane Beamer goes with, I will be happy with. I'll be totally honest with you. So, um. You know, we'll kind of see what happens, and we'll just sort of go from there. But I, I'd be cool with Derek Mason. And, yes, I think 100% he would take a D.C. job. I think he's a really, really good defensive mind. And I think he'll be successful in his next stop, honestly. I just think he was in a no-win situation at Vandy. I, I, I just think it's damn near impossible to win in Nashville, for sure. So, again, guys, that's going to do it for me. Appreciate you all tuning in, guys. Thank you so much. Again, like I said, just keeping it brief. Um, we will have a lot more recruiting to talk about as this class goes on and evolves and proceeds. And again, I think there's guys in this 2021 class right now that have signed that can help you. But South Carolina has a lot to get done between now and February. And South Carolina has also got the guy in place that I think will get the job done for the Gamecocks. So again, guys, appreciate you tuning in now. We do have a fantastic interview. Former Gamecocks offensive lineman. You probably remember him, guys. When I went on Fade In with Eric Kimry a couple months ago, he was one of the other guests. Actually sat right next to me. We had a really good time. was able to meet him then. Um, you know, talked about touching base, getting on the show. Was finally able to do it. Jeff Barnes played offensive line at South Carolina, 99 to 2003. Part of those Outback Bowl teams. Obviously, we saw, of course, current Gamecock football. His thoughts on Shane Beamer, the hiring of that. And also the Hammond Skyhawks won the state title. Him and Eric Kimry. Uh, talk about that as well. Fantastic combo, guys. So, again, sit back, relax, enjoy the interview. It's all brought to you by our friends over at My Bookie. Guys, with the, with the Christmas holiday right around the corner, My Bookie's been in a giving mood. A $250 risk free bet on Thanksgiving, boosted odds and free bets every hour of Black Friday. 
and they continue to give away more freebies for Cyber Monday. Guys, for a sports book that's supposed to be in the business of making money, they were giving it away. That's just one of the reasons why I've been rolling with my bookie this season. The fact is this, guys. If you're going to put some action on the games, whether you're betting NFL, NCAA, college football, college hoops, whatever your preference, you want to do it with a reputable brand like my bookie. Make your deposit using the promo code GAMECOCKS. Again, that's promo code GAMECOCKS, and they'll match you halfway to give you a head start on building your bankroll. Guys, put in $200, get an extra $100 to play with. Joining and depositing is a simple process, and it's quick. But more importantly, when it's time to get paid, that's quick too. Treat yourself some extra cash in your pocket this holiday season by investing in your intuition, guys. It's not just winter season. It's winning season. So bet, win, and get paid with my bookie. Enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks offensive lineman Jeff Barnes. All right, joining us in the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 1999 to 2003. During his USC career, he, he started five games with the Gamecocks, including three his senior season, was part of the back-to-back Outback Bowl teams in 2000 and 2001 that won the Outback Bowl over Ohio State. Currently, he is the AD at Hammond High School and is on the football coaching staff, coaching offensive line at Hammond. Also, you might remember back a couple of months ago, we were on together on Eric Kimry's Fade In podcast. Very pleased to get him on my airways and be joined by former Gamecocks offensive lineman Jeff Barnes Jeff I appreciate you taking the time man it's a pleasure to have you on my friend great to chat with you again yeah man thanks for having us uh excited about what's going on in Carolina and uh excited to talk about it yeah so let's go first though because we got a lot to get into on that front but I want to first talk about your career a little bit because obviously again you played for the Gamecocks 99 to 03 we're part of some great teams under Lou Holtz there but go back Jeff for me to the beginning you get recruited to South Carolina you're in the recruiting process you're from the state of Georgia though Fayetteville Georgia just talk about how that all came about what the recruiting process was like for you and why you chose to go to South Carolina um yeah the recruiting process has changed a little bit a lot of when I was there it was a lot landed it was sign-in day of your senior year in February Mm. um recruiting didn't start as early as your eighth and ninth grade years it started in your 10th 11th grade years um and I was I was being recruited by several schools that were going through coaching changes. Uh, Auburn was going through a coaching change. Clemson was going through a coaching change. Um, Brad Scott was going over to Clemson. South Carolina was going through a coaching change. Um, so a lot of the schools that I was getting recruited by were going through coaching changes. And so uh, there was some limbo um, there to buy some time mm. to make a decision. And um, once I took my recruiting visit to South Carolina and, and saw the direction Coach Holtz was, was going to try to lead the team to, I was excited about, and I committed to the University of South Carolina. I feel like it'd be pretty hard to say no to Lou Holtz. You go meet him, and, you know, as motivational as he is, and I mean, just how great of a coach he is, it speaks for itself, what he did at Notre Dame and being a Hall of Famer. I, I'm sure that was a, a quick sell for you once you got to meet Coach Holtz. Uh, yeah, I mean, anytime you get to go play for a coach that that is a Hall of Fame coach and, and has a vision and sells his vision, and obviously everyone heard has heard him speak, um, and his sales pitch. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was an opportunity of a lifetime that I took advantage of, and I, I don't regret a second of it. Yeah, I, I was going to say, uh, we, we both know Eric does a fantastic impersonation. Talking about the way Coach Holtz speaks, he does a imp- fantastic impersonation. But your first interactions with Lou Holtz, I mean, what was that like playing for him? Again, I, I know there's some very funny moments, some very tough moments, because, you know, he was a tough SOB on the field. But uh, it seems like the guys that I've talked to that played under, I mean, it's 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 a – once-in-a-lifetime type of experience to play for a head coach like that. Right, and, and Coach Holtz is one of those guys, if, if you were in his good, if you were in good graces, you were in his good graces. <laughs> and if you are in his doghouse, it took a lot to get out of his doghouse. Um, I was fortunate to always be in his good graces. Uh, I did what I was supposed to do. I came to practice. I, I worked hard. 
I was good in the classroom. So I did everything I, I needed to do to make him happy. And so, um, but I mean, yeah, there's, there's stories that we could tell mm. for hours on end of stories about him <laughs> and the coaching staff and, and his assistant coaches are, are who really we fell, fell in love with as, as leaders of our team. Um, today, I still talk to my offensive line coach who just got on with the New York Giants again. So um, I still have those bonding relationships that I, I don't, I mean, I, I love. Um, I, I follow Todd Fitch, who getting to call the plays at Bandy this past week, and Skip Holtz and all those guys. So um, it's just very fortunate to play in a, in a, on a team with so many talented coaches that are, all now have been head coaches. And, and so it was just a great experience for me. For sure. Now, Jeff, you were part of one of the greatest turnarounds ever in college ball history. Obviously, South Carolina, when you got there, went 1-10 in 1998. Again, you changed head coaches. 1999, you redshirt, and you guys go 0-11. 2000 comes. We all know what happens. You snap the 21-game losing streak, then beat Georgia the following week, and it was on from that point. Just, just talk about being there, seeing the change. I mean, seeing the shift. I mean, to go from literally 0-11 to an Outback Bowl win over Ohio State. I mean, that, that had to be just – a whirlwind of emotions and really awesome to be a part of. Right. Yeah. I, I joke all the time with some of the guys we play with. I, I tell them in the 99 season, we probably couldn't have beat an Under Armour all-star team. <laughs> uh, um, so we, we had a lot of guys that were young that were playing um, and growing and, and a lot of red shirt freshmen and freshmen, sophomores on the field. And those two classes really bonded together. Um, and you'll hear me talk about this later, but it really started in the locker room. Mm. Um, those guys made a bond in a pack and held each other accountable. They didn't need Coach Holtz to hold them accountable. They held each other accountable, and if someone got out of line, it wasn't the coaches getting on them, it was the players getting on them. So the, the attitude and the atmosphere around the field was self-accountability, and, and that comes with great leadership as well. I mean, that's something Coach Holtz played a part in and taught us to do, but I think that was the turning point of we started holding each other accountable and set goals as a team, and, and and just pushed through and held each other's hands all the way through and and, and made a big turnaround. And it's interesting, Jeff, you say that, because I know I'm jumping way far ahead, though, but it just takes me back to when you said that, the quote that Connor Shaw had just a few weeks ago when he said that the best cultures are player-led. And like you're saying, you guys were holding each other accountable. You didn't need the coaches to get on. You know, I've talked with other guys. You know, I talked to Steven Garcia a couple of days ago and Perry Roth, and they echo the same thing as Connor says. And it seems like the characteristics of great teams or teams that achieve great things are exactly what you're saying. They hold each other accountable. They don't necessarily need a coach to come down on them. They're holding each other accountable to their standard. Right. And, and one of the biggest things I remember in my time there is Deuce Staley came and spoke to the team. And one of the big things I took from his speech was, guys, enjoy this moment because some of you guys will get to play in the NFL but you'll never have this brotherhood that you have now. Mm. He said, in the NFL, we come to work, we get our work done, we go home, we go with our families. Here, you, you come, you get your work done, then you go live with each other. And, mm. and you have that brotherhood that is not matched anywhere else that you can get in this world. He said, so enjoy the ride and, and love each other. And that's what we did. We, we don't only hung, hung out with each other on the field. I mean, we were with each other all the time, after games, before games, all week long. People, I mean, I had C.J. Fry and Andrew Pinnock and Travell Wharton. They all lived across the hall. We'd have our doors open, running through each other's dorm rooms. It was just a great, great time to be part of that team. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to move to 2000. Your first career start came against the Florida Gators. And, and again, 
playing in the SEC is a challenge in itself, but I know playing on the trenches or in the trenches, if you will, those battles, it's a, you know, you know, obviously you coach offensive line. It's a car crash every single play. Just talk about getting your first start again against Florida. Steve Spurrier's Florida Gators, I might add. Uh, what, what was that experience like for you? Um, obviously, when you go into a game, you want to be as prepared as possible. But when you go into a game and your left tackle was, was 6'4", 250 pounds, mm. which I was at the time, way undersized. I had to use a lot of technique and, and, and brain to try to block Alex Brown, who played, had a long NFL career. Um, it was exciting. Um, that's what you play for. Um, I, the, all, the main, I tell people all the time, and especially kids I coach, the main reason I got to play is because I understood football. It wasn't I was a great talent. It was that I understood the offense and I understood how to trick the defense into doing what I wanted to do. Um, and so that's – I tried to prepare the best I could. And so I was excited. Um, it's obviously a hard place to play. Mm. Um, with 90 – I think that's – when Lito Shepard hit a punt return right before the half, it's probably the loudest I've ever heard a stadium in my entire <laughs> life. So um, it, it was an interesting time. But, I mean, I gave – I went out and gave it my all and, and I still talk about it to this day. Yeah, but say that the, the swamp that was really back when the swamp was rocking, and when Spurrier had that thing going. I, I want to move again into the Outback Bowl. Like I said, um, you're part of those two great teams that won the back-to-back Outback Bowls. And the crazy thing is, this people forget you guys beat Ohio State both years, and then Ohio State turns around and wins the national title the next year. Just to kind of give credit to how good of a team that they were. But I mean, just talk about that. I mean, you can recall both of them. Does does one of the two stand out? I know we think of the Ryan Brewer game, probably a good buddy of yours. Obviously, that one really jumps out at you. But, uh, I mean, both sir, both have great memories for different reasons. But just talk about, again, winning those back-to-back Outback Bowls. I mean, just uh, going from what you guys were again in 99 to that that height, especially after the second one, I know had to just be an incredible feeling. Right. I, I tell people all the time, I give them a trivia question, who's the only team to beat Ohio State in 2002? <laughs> um, and since it was January 1st, 2002 – the Gamecocks were the only team yeah, that year. That's true. Um, but probably because of the ins and outs of the first Outback Bowl and just the the history behind it, and, and Ryan was a, a not only a good friend, but he's uh, my roommate mm. uh, all through college. And so just the, just the way he stepped up and, and really performed in that game with all the drama behind the scenes that kind of, you know, get brushed under the rug to the media, mm. but but happened on the team and, and, and unfortunately – Derek Watson was a great player, but he was suspended for the game mm. for, uh, and he's a great guy, just made a mistake. And um, just the way it, it played out for Ryan to have such a successful game against a team that didn't quote offer him uh, a scholarship, but kind of, you know, played, played it out. And then to the second Outback Bowl is more of a, man, we were blowing Ohio State out and they put a heck of a comeback out. I think their quarterback was suspended for the first half. And then he put a run on it the second half, and, and Daniel Weaver hit the field goal right over the uprights to win the game. So that was pretty dramatic. So that was a good experience. Listen, any bowl game you can go to mm. is a heck of an experience, especially <laughs> the week leading into the bowl game. Yeah, it's, it's a reward for the players, for sure. I, I know people, you know, it's funny because we're talking right now, obviously, after the 2020 season, and we're all kind of waiting. Is Sal kind of going to go to a bowl game? And I hear some fans saying, oh, Leonard, we don't need to go. I'm like – Give the guys a reward. I mean, they bust their butts all year. I mean, who cares what the record is, especially how crazy 2020 is. But I want to ask you, move to your senior year, because, again, I know that following those Outback Bowl seasons, 02 and 03 didn't go exactly like you guys hoped. I I think of some really, really close losses both those years and kind of just just that far away. But I want to move to your senior year, 03, because, again, the year where you by far made your uh, biggest contribution, you start four games that year. I just want to hear about – 
where you feel you evolved most as a player because the final depth chart, like you said, you were 6'4", 250 your freshman year, I believe it was, 6'4", 286 as a senior. So obviously you got a lot bigger, faster, stronger. And like you said, early in your career, building that technique. Just talk about starting again those four games your senior year, being a big-time contributor, and, and, and where you think your game evolved most while you were at Carolina. Yeah, I mean, I think I faced some injuries in my career. I had reconstructive wrist surgery, and I had a torn – I tore up my shoulder against Kentucky. Not so rare for some, an O-lineman. Not rare for an – No, no, up. not at all. <laughs> and so um, those were some setbacks I had. But one of the things that I, I felt that I brought to the team more than just contributing and playing online and playing all five position was during my time of injury, I was able to help develop younger players. And, and Nashawn Goddard, who played at the time with me, was a younger guy. That I that I was able to help coach up and 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 almost coached him up. I mean, did coach him up enough to take my position as the years went on, because um, he had more talent than I did. He was a better player than I was, and so. But I, I don't regret that. That's that's why I'm coaching today because it kind of led me in my path of where I am today, uh, because of the opportunity I've had to help develop younger guys, give them some advice, um, just kind of be more of a, a leader. Um, and a contributor to the team and just understand the value of being a great teammate. Mm. Yeah, well, let's move into that, Jeff, because obviously, again, you're at the athletic director at Hammond High School, but also you're coaching football offensive line coach at Hammond. And you guys, congratulations, by the way, on another state championship. The state titles just, just keep reeling off. You guys are just stacking up, stacking them up now as we go. But seriously, fantastic job. You guys have obviously done a great job there. But I'll ask you, over your playing career, did you, knew, did you know at that point coaching was going to be a thing for you? Did you kind of know and, and feel like, hey, I, I want to do this full-time as a coach someday? Or when did that come about? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I knew going into college I wanted to be in sports because I'd been in sports mm -hmm. my whole life. And, and right. growing up, if you're an SEC-caliber athlete, you've probably played every sport growing up, and you've probably mm -hmm. been pretty good at them. Um, and so my whole life revolved around sports. And I knew once I hit the field in, in the SEC that, you know, these guys are pretty good, and I'm not nearly as good as these guys. Um, so as time went on and I built a bond with our offensive line coach, um, I kind of moved in that direction to the point that at the end of my career, I was actually offered a graduate assistant job under Skip Holtz at South Carolina. Um, I had turned it down because I'd given Eric Kimry my word to come coach his <laughs> offensive line in Hammond. Mm. Um, so I, and I, and I didn't know how long I was going to do that, but it was an opportunity to keep me in the game and, and do something I love and be around the sport because I mean, I have teammates that struggle because that's their only identity right. was being being an athlete their whole life. And when it's taken completely away, they don't know what to do. So I'm fortunate enough to be in the business. Um, I love the business. Um, I love the kids I work with. So, yeah, just just through my career, understanding the game and getting to know the knowledge of the game, I felt that I could give back to kids growing up and be successful in this business. So what you've been at Heyman, I guess, what, 16 years? Has it, has it been that long? So when Eric was hired, he brought me on as the offensive line coach. And I was like 22 years old. Wow. That's awesome. So yeah, that's just so awesome to think two former teammates, being able to grow into it and kind of do your thing. I, I was going to ask too, because I was taking a look back. I mean, you played every position on the offensive line at South Carolina at some point, center guard tackle, all of it. I'm sure that had to help you a lot in regards to coaching. Cause you literally know what everybody on that line of scrimmage is supposed to be doing. Cause I, I've had, again, I know you kind of, uh, kind of picked that out. You know, I had your former teammate, John Strickland on, but I've had other guys too, that, that played O-line. And I, I tell all of them because I, I really pay respect to that. You know, we all love to talk football, but unless you played offensive line, you don't really understand it. The intricacies that go into it, the complexities, like 
really understanding what the offensive line does. Because, again, as you know, the only time the offensive line is recognized is when you mess up. You know what I mean? People don't understand really what goes into it. And, I mean, it's a kudos to you guys for people that actually play the O-line. They're the unsung heroes of a football team because I don't care how much football changes. You have to win on the line of scrimmage. But I'm sure, again, those experiences at South Carolina and being able to kind of play all over the place, I'm sure that helped you a lot as you kind of got your coaching career going and still to this day coaching those uh, those young guys at Hammond. Right, yeah. And, and listen, I, I knew my role at South Carolina. Uh, for many of the years, I was a six man, and I could fill in any game, any position. And I did that a lot. So just getting to know and, – and we run a very similar scheme here at Hammond that we ran, I guess, 20 years ago now uh, <laughs> at South Carolina. So, um, yeah, just – and, and there, there's a lot of technique to offensive line, and I'm sure John Strickland talked about it. But, I mean – we would get we would get all we'd get our tails chewed out for a six inch step versus an eight inch step. I mean, it's so technical and hand placement and things like that. And you're using some technique to try to trick the D lineman into what you want them to do. Just a lot of technique is things that people don't realize that go on up front. Mm. And so, and this it's part of the game. Uh, when I watch a game, that's that's what mm. I watch, and it, it'll take me to the ball. So um, that 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 part of it is has really helped me with coaching. For sure. Well, since we're talking O-line, before we – because obviously everybody wants to hear your thoughts on the Beamer stuff and the direction of South Carolina football. What I want to talk about this 2020 season, because like you said, you're – obviously we were both on fade-in with Eric Camry, and obviously a lot happened since that point. But, uh, you know, your eyes go to the line of scrimmage whenever you watch a game. And South Carolina, hey, whenever you have a 1,000-yard rusher, you feel like as an offensive line, you had a good year. And I would say in the run game, South Carolina's offensive line – did a fantastic job, obviously had some troubles in pass pro. Some of that can be credited due to you didn't have the most mobile quarterback for a lot of the year, but whatever, it is what it is. You struggled a little bit in pass pro, but again, Kevin Harris, what he did this season, the way he ran the football, and I mean, some of the holes he had to run through. I mean, it was absolutely ridiculous. But when you looked at the Gamecocks offensive line in 2020, and obviously led by Sidarius Hutcherson, who's now headed to the NFL, things you like, things you want to see them improve as they go into next season. Again, we have no clue if a guy like Eric Wolford's going to be back, so I'm sure there's going to be some shuffling there if you have a new offensive line coach. But just what you saw from the Gamecocks offensive line in 2020 as a whole. Um, I think I think I agree. I would say, in my opinion, run blocking is a lot harder than pass blocking, so I think a lot of emphasis in practice is probably on run blocking. Um, where I think Eric Wofford did a good job, and I don't know if this is Eric Wofford, Mike Bobo's scheme, but it was a lot more double teams at the point of attack than single blocks. Mm. And when you put 600 pounds on 300 pounds, yeah. you can usually get some movement at the point of attack. And, and a lot of times backs can make linebackers miss. Mm. And so, or the linebacker will feel the hole too tight that he gets jammed up in, in the movement of the D lineman. So I think offensive line wise, I think that was the emphasis on it that, that Harris could make cuts in the line of scrimmage instead of having to avoid, avoid linebackers tackling him in the backfield and having to make cuts two yards deep. So I think that, that was the primary primary structure of the offense that I was really impressed with is the is the double team at point of attack where Harris can make cuts in the line of scrimmage or hit it downhill full speed and then make a cut later in on the second level. Um, as far as the pass blocking, I think I think the overall scheme of pass, and I don't want to knock the Gamecocks, mm-hmm. but I think the there's a lot that goes into the pass block. I think the, you, you talked about it. The mobile quarterback is a struggle, but why do you need a mobile quarterback? Well, you also had receivers and, and let's call it what it is. Shia Smith is our only yeah. true sec receiver and nothing against muse, but he went to million and Mary before he developed. So he was a division two guy that, that transferred in. And the same thing, yeah. thing with the guy that went to Wingate. I mean, their, their division, they weren't sec caliber receivers, 
that we talk about today. Yes, they've had they had uh, decent seasons, and, and but they still have a lot to learn yeah. transferring in to be at that caliber. So you can't throw it all on Colin Hill. You can't mm-hmm. throw it all on the offense line. Um, if your receivers don't get open, your quarterback's not going to throw it because he's told the whole time, don't throw interception, don't turn yeah. the ball over, take a sack first. So <laughs> there's a lot that goes into that, that. That I mean, is it because they were covered downfield? Is it because they didn't protect? Is it because we couldn't run around the pocket? So you get into it, – it's very – when when Spurrier – I think it was Spurrier – when they had to bench Blake Mitchell for Savelle Newton, mm. there were some issues on the up front, and, and we needed a guy that could run around. Blake Mitchell was a good quarterback but he couldn't run around at the time. So Savelle could and extend plays. And so that's what made the team more successful. No, for sure. And you think back to this season and what Kevin Harris did, I mean, just speaks for itself. And I tell people it's like, and I know you already know this, but when you think about what Kevin Harris did, first game Cox running back to hit a thousand since 2013. And he did it in a 10 game all conference schedule. And I say this too, he did it when teams knew what we were going to do, and he still did it. I mean, we had no threat of a passing game, like you're saying, just the lack of weapons on the outside. I want to ask you, because I talked to, I forget who it was, but another former Gamecocks offensive lineman about this. I'll pose this question to you. And as a coach, I'm sure I'd love to get your perspective on this. Would you rather have a an All-American offensive line and an average running back or an All-American running back but an average offensive line? Like, if you had to pick one of the two, what are you going with? As an offensive lineman, I used to argue that I'd rather have a. a I think it was actually Kimry we talked about this with. Yeah, I forgot. Uh, that's my bad. That's yeah. It was, it was literally Kimry. You were sitting next to me. Maybe that's why it came to my head. And, and the more I think about it, I'd probably rather have an All-American running back. <laughs> um, I say all the time, the best coach to ever coach football was Herschel Walker's running back coach. Yeah. Um, so those do a lot of a lot of running backs. If you can make guys miss, then you're you're a pretty good running yeah. back. Now, don't get me wrong. You need guys to get in the way. Mm. But overall, I'd probably take an all-American running back because you're not an all-American running back with a not a de- de- decent offensive line. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a very good point. I, I want to move again. 2020 season, obviously, it's interesting, Jeff, because when we talked, it was the week of the Auburn game. There was a lot of excitement, a lot of emotion. South Carolina gets that win over Auburn. I'll just ask you, because we all know what happened after that point. The change has been made. Shane Beamer is the Gamecocks' new head coach. Would you ever have imagined that how the season played out the rest of the year would have happened after South Carolina beat Auburn? Because I, I know, I mean, I literally went to Baton Rouge. I, I did not see that coming. Even if South Carolina struggled down the stretch, I did not expect them to struggle as badly as they did and things to really just unravel. And again, especially like I said, when we were talking on fade in and going in that Auburn game and then what happened, it was just a wild whirlwind of events that proceeded from that point. Right. I would agree. Uh, leaving the Auburn game, I was like, I was, I had, I was excited about our team. Um, they, they showed some promise. I think uh, the area we struggled was obviously the consistency. Yeah. Um, we went into a game against LSU where the media hyped up that they were starting a freshman quarterback. Um, <laughs> LSU's not that good, this, that, and the other. And I think LSU was having some growing pains. And listen, LSU did not recruit. Yeah, I mean, they talented. got four and five stars. Yeah, they got guys. And so I think some of those guys were young that were playing and, and, and we weren't very good on defense. I mean, let's call it what it is. We weren't very good. Um, and so when they came out and the quarterback plays lights out and this, that, and the other, does that mean that maybe we just played our best game against Auburn and they played a bad game or LSU played up to some potential and we played a bad game. But when you can sit and you consistently got, I think my problem is we consistently didn't step up to the challenge as the year went on. Um, I, I, you can point fingers at whose fault it is, but facts are facts. And defensively, we struggled all year long after the Auburn game. Mm-hmm. 
No, for sure. Well, we all know what happens from that point. Will Muschamp gets dismissed, and the coaching search is on. Um, Gamecocks hire Shane Beamer. I know I'm happy with the hire. I want to get your thoughts on – take me through, like, kind of your thoughts overall. Was Shane Beamer, you know, when you were looking at – I'm sure you were just kind of sitting back like all of us and just kind of wondering, you know, who, who they were going to hire. But was Shane Beamer always on your radar? Did you kind of have, like, other names in mind? I'm not sure. Were you a part of the uh, – because I know John was talking about the Letterman meeting or whatever. I, I would imagine you were probably a part of that because they had a ton of former Gamecocks on. Um, but Shane Beamer does get the job. Overall, just your thoughts on Shane getting hired. I know you were there, obviously, before him, but you know you heard all the former players come out. Steven Garcia, Pat DeMarco, Swearinger, Holloman. You just keep going down these lists. Melvin Ingram, of all the greats that supported him and wanted him to get the job. And obviously, you look at who he's worked under with Spurrier and Beamer and Riley and Kirby Smart. His resume speaks for itself. And I know Gamecock Nation is extremely excited for the hiring of Shane Beamer. Just talk about your overall thoughts on how the search went and then eventually getting Shane Beamer as the next head football coach. So I kind of I kind of looked at the whole thing about what what does South Carolina need as a, and a head coach. And listen, you can it's proven you can have the best the guy who was the best head coach winning every game at a, at a smaller school, and they come into Power Five football and they tank, or the best offensive coordinator that was putting up 100 points, they become a head coach and they tank. Or you have a guy that was that was good and was great. Coaching hires are, are a gamble. Yeah. Um, that, that's why there's so much money involved in it. And, uh, and so I kind of looked at it as what does South Carolina need? And I think that goes back to why I thought we were successful when we played there. And, that, and that's a culture. And kind of like the NFL draft, guys, and let's use if it, say Baltimore Ravens get the first pick, they're not going to draft the best player in the draft with Trevor Lawrence. They're going to figure out their needs and they're going to draft that guy or they're going to trade away from that. So I think South Carolina needed more than an X's and O's guy. Mm-hmm. I think they, they needed a, I think Muschamp got to an era where it started to be a must win and the focus on culture was not as much there because he got a must win to keep your job situation. Right. So then you start, you start saying, well, then we need to focus on the X's and O's more. And I think the problem with South Carolina is we don't build a foundation before we start trying to build the house. And so I think with this coaching search, I think Shane Beamer, with the support of all his foreign players, listen, if there's a guy you want to play for and you'll run the wall for him and this many people are saying it, to me it's like, okay, this is the culture we need. We need this type of guy that's also going to reach back out to alumni, even if it's those guys. Like those guys sell the university. They, they're NFL guys. Yeah. They, they sell the university. And then you got the guys like me that – you know what? Love the university. Want to see them win. Aren't a big name, but feel that I can reach out to Shane Beamer, and he'd eventually call me back under his busy. I mean, listen, he had six hundred text messages. I mean, it'd give him some time. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but that he would give us an opportunity to come back and, and see the facilities and talk and re- mm-hmm. reach out to us. So I think a culture has to be established there, and I think Gamecock fans have to be patient. Mm-hmm. I think let's not in year two or year three say, oh, well, if we're not winning nine games, it's time to start looking. Like, let's understand, let's look where it's going. Let's look where we're at. Let's look where it's going and see if it's getting better. There's something about a locker room full of kids that will run through a wall for you. And, um, of course, I'll be interested to see who his uh, staff is because I think he needs an offense. Listen, it's a as much as I hate to say this, it's a Clemson design. And I think, listen, I think Shane Beamer's a good coach, but I also think where his strength is is he can recruit. He's, he's very personable. And, and he will build a culture. And if he can do that and help and, and allow his coordinators to coach, 
and then step in and coach, obviously, but allow them to run their systems and get good at them. I think we, we can build something here. So yeah, I'm, I'm totally excited for Shane Beamer. I'm curious to get your take on this as far as from the coaching perspective, because again, I, and I agree with you on all the points about culture. And I think when what you've seen in the early comments he had in his introductory presser, and I mean, obviously the, the one thing that stands out, the video of him walking around really be like literally tearing up. And it's like, that tells you all you got to know. But we hear that a lot. I want to get your take on this, Jeff. We hear that a lot as far as like the CEO type, right? And like you said, call it for what it is, the Clemson design. Like that's basically what Dabo does. He just sells the program. He builds the culture and he lets his coordinators go coach. When do you think that started to happen? Like football evolved that way. Has it always been that way? Or like, cause I don't, I don't remember that always being a thing. You know, I feel like that's more of a recent development in coaching in college football. I mean, I could be totally wrong, but is that a new development or is it something that, you know, even coaches like Lou Holtz, I mean, was he like in, in those rooms or would he, was he more so hands-off like you're seeing kind of today? Um, coach Holtz would get involved and sometimes too much involved, but he was pretty hands-off and let his coaches mm. coach. Yeah. And he would pro run a program. The reason I think this has changed is because social media right. and all the time and, and message boards and, and, and other things are telling these kids in high school of how good they are. Mm -hmm. And they're, and they're basing their worth on likes and retweets and, <laughs> and things like that. And so when you're, you tell a kid it's how good they are their whole life and then they step on the field and they realize, Oh shit, I'm about <laughs> to play. I'm, these men, these are men out here. I, I play with a bunch of boys. These are yeah. men out here. Then, then reality hits them. And, and I think, they need they need the reinforcement of hey I can go to my head coach and, and talk to him and 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 build these relationships because I think it's almost two full time jobs. Mm. Um, you got you got a guy that's going to build a culture and and love the university and and want to be here and sell it, but he's also got to be part lead the program of coaches too. So he's leading two different groups. He's leading a group of kids and let's call them what they are when they're eighteen yeah. years old. They're still kids learning learning how to be on their own and manage their time. And you're leading a group of men that have egos too in the coaching world that you got to say, Hey, this is my show. Here's how we're going to do it and, and do it this way because this is what's best for kids mm -hmm. as well. So I think it's two different jobs based on how much kids have been told how good they are and social media and things like that. And I think, listen, Dabo does a heck of a job with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Since we're talking about kids and prospects and stuff like that, we are ironically talking enough here on Wednesday, December the 16th, which is the first day of the early signing period, early signing day. And as we all know, when you go through, and it's a lot different, obviously, like I said, when you were getting recruited, I mean, heck, just a couple of years ago, you didn't have early signing day. It was February the 4th or at first, I think Wednesday in February, you had national signing day. But obviously things have changed. You have this early signing day in South Carolina. As expected, you had a ton of decommits, and I think they're only signing like nine guys today. And obviously the rankings, they are what they are right now, and it's rough. But just talk about what you're expecting from – and I know you're not behind closed doors, but what you're kind of expecting from Shane Beamer and company as far as – I've been telling Gamecock fans, don't panic. Don't overreact. You have till February. Coach Beamer, they got to hire an OC and a DC first. I mean, you understand why we don't have 2025 commits right now. But I'm expecting, I would think, South Carolina is going to go the JUCO route. The transfer portal obviously is something that is going to be crazy this offseason with so many guys entering the portal. Just kind of what you're expecting on the recruiting side of things. And I, I bet you're in an interesting spot, too, because, again, you're an AD at a high school. So you kind of see the process unfold in front of you with guys that I'm sure you, you guys have probably got people signing today. I mean, I don't know. But, I mean, just talk about kind of what you're expecting Coach Beamer and that staff to do and the kind of guys you're expecting them to bring in for the to kind of kick off the, the Shane Beamer era, if you will. Right, and, and I'm with you. I, I don't think you you base Shane Beamer's first recruiting class on the nine guys that he's signed right, right, now. Right. Yeah. Um, these are guys that, that obviously he probably recruited or, or scouted 
while he was in Oklahoma since he had this area and thought they were good players, so stayed in touch with them to try to get him to come to South Carolina. I think what Coach Beamer's got to look at at this point is, all right, what's my personnel? Like, listen, my man's been in Oklahoma. Like, he's got to look at his roster, watch film of South Carolina, um, see where his dynamics are. And let's be honest, my man's got an offensive coordinator lined up. We just hadn't yeah. announced it. And, sure. and, and it could be Coach Bobo, it could be someone else. Mm. But that, that type of athlete, and one thing he said in his presser, is you got to be able to adjust your play calling to the athletes you have. Mm. So I think right now he needs to see what kind of athletes he has and what he needs to go get to work his offense and defensive scheme into his needs. I mean, so right now he needs to see what he's got a roster. And if he's got 14 D linemen, he probably needs to go recruit receivers or something like that <laughs> right. um, and fill in his needs for his first year. And I think it'll be a need-based year. Yeah. And then we can kind of play a year. And, and that, that's why I go back to Gamecock fans have to be patient. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I agree with you 110%. Well, Jeff, you've been gracious with your time. Before I get you out of here, though, obviously, again, the Skyhawks, state champions once again. Give a little shout-out to your guys, I man, if you want to reflect on the uh, the 2020 season. I mean, obviously, and we all know, I remember when we were talking on fade-in, just the challenges of COVID, and obviously, you being an athletic director to high school, I mean, you've seen that, trying to get kids in classrooms and, you know, remote learning. I mean, it's been madness, but you guys were able to get in a season, win another state title. Just kind of give a shout-out to your guys if you want to reflect on the year, and obviously, you guys – uh you know, I had a, had a big win in the state title game. And, you know, what was the season like for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm just proud of our coaching staff and our, and our guys who, who, listen, it's hard for a kid to walk around in a mask all day. Heck, it's hard for yeah. adults to walk around in a mask all day. But our kids took it as a challenge, made a bunch of sacrifices socially um, with a goal in mind. And, and, listen, they had every right to fold. We lost six, seven college football players from last year's staff. Mm. This was the year to get Hammond. Um <laughs> So with all the distractions and everything, just, just the fact that they were able to stick it out, push through with the same goal in mind that they always have and pull it off. So I'm super proud of those guys, super proud of our administration for pushing through and, and making sure our kids are safe, but still able to give them as much normalcy as possible. Yeah, that's awesome. Coach Barnes, Jeff, appreciate you taking the time, man. A pleasure. We'll have to do it again soon. Thanks so much. Thank you. Absolutely. He's Jeff Barnes. I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in, and we'll catch you next time on an episode of the Spurs Up Show. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.